So uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, we actually provide copies in the, in the pews there. So if you didn't have one with you, you can grab one of those. And let's turn into the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We, this is a, a well-known passage, um, at least by its content. It's like super well-known because it's the Ten Commandments. Uh, everybody has some familiarity with the Ten Commandments. And for the past couple of months, we've been walking through each command step by step, one by one, uh, to kind of look at, okay, God, what, are you, what do you have to tell us Living today, so many thousands of years removed from the time that this word was given, how do we shape our lives around a text like this? And and uh, today we are in the very last commandment, and the title of this sermon is called No Other Want, and it's based upon that last command in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And uh, something that we do here from time to time, we're going to do it here this morning. I, I love for us to stand together, and let's just kind of honor The word of God as it's being read. And would you just stand together with me? And we're in Exodus chapter 20. Um, I'm going to read to you verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, in the message by Eugene Peterson, he kind of paraphrased this last part of, of this verse. And, and this is the way that he writes it. He just simply says, don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. You, you could also, we don't set our heart on things that really aren't ours. That's the heart of this command. And this is the word of God. Would you, would you pray together with me very quickly? Father in heaven, um, as we kind of step into your word and um, break it apart and kind of look at what you have to say to us today, I pray, God, that we would just see ourselves in the shadow of the word, in the shadow of the cross, and that, Father, it would examine us through and through, that it would reveal to us who we are, what we struggle with, um, the stuff that is just in our lives that uh, maybe shouldn't be. But no matter where our story is, God, we all would see your magnificent love for us. And all that you have done for us to bring us into a relationship with you through Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless the, the, the reading and the preaching of this word. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I have been told that the story that I'm about to tell you is true. For those of you who've known me for a while, you know I'm, I'm from North Carolina. Uh, my family um, is kind of unique in the fact that um, we kind of resemble... Uh, we're kind of like a mixture of the type of, like the Leadbetters, you know, Jerry Clower used to talk about, mixed in with a, with a little bit of, you know, um, um, you know, just enough silliness that, you know, why I'm standing here, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of shocked myself. And so we have our moments where we kind of display some, you know, like Jeff Foxworthy moments, you know, in our family. Uh, so here it goes. Years ago, the very first indoor shopping mall opened in eastern North Carolina. It was called the Terrytown Mall, and it was opened in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Some members of my family, I'm, I'm not going to call their names. I'm just, I just, I need to save them from, you know, but at any rate. Some of my family members went to this. They had never been to anything like this ever. As a matter of fact, um, the only time you would see them wearing shoes would be at a funeral. 
I mean, that's just kind of how they were, you know. And so they decided, well, we're going to go to town. And you've heard the phrase, country comes to town. This was them. So um, here it is, family, mom, dad, son, and a daughter walking up into the mall. And they just couldn't believe the sights. They had never seen anything like this ever before in their entire life. Uh, soon, dad and son got a little bit tired and they said, we're just going to wait on mom and, and our daughter and let them finish doing their shopping or looking or whatever. We're going to sit down by this bench here. And so they did. They took a seat. And uh, it was a nephew of mine that told me this story. He said, the next thing that happened, they, they were sitting in this bench and unbeknownst to them, they were standing in front of what, uh, it, was just, it was a silver box and it had a line down the middle, and every so often these door there were doors, and it would just kind of open up. Okay, and they had they had never seen anything like this ever before in their life. They're sitting there, the dad and the son. They're sitting there, and and here comes this um, frumpy, homely, kind of hunched over older lady. Okay, and she's walking. And she hits a button on the wall by this silver box, and these doors open. She walks in, the doors close. Now, um, I believe my, ne- my, my nephew said there were some of our cousins, so, you know, the dad cousin, son cousin, just, what in the world was that? And they noticed at the top there were these lights, and they changed direction or whatever. And then about two, three minutes later, the you know, lights went up and then it kind of went back down. And then the doors opened again. But out walked a young, shapely, nice-looking blonde woman. The dad leans over to the son without missing a beat. He said, boy, go get your mom. <laughs> so, okay. Some of the things that we want in life is based on everything else but reality, I think, sometimes, right? And you know something? We're going to get a reality check this morning. Matter of fact, we've had a reality check for the past several weeks as we've been walking through the the Ten Commandments because if there's one thing that we've kind of understood is that God is on a mission to share with His people the plan that He has for their lives. And if there's one thing that we ought to know about us, 21st century, the church of Jesus Christ here in America, God's got his hand on us and he, listen, and he's moving us along as well, just as he did with Israel. And so the lessons and the rules that he was giving to them, they apply equally to us today. The the only trick is how do we make sure that we are living this in a way that is relevant to our lives? And so, um, so it really begins with this journey. You've got to understand that this journey that Israel is on. In, in Exodus 20, it's just a few chapters removed. If you've ever remember, you remember the story about Israel crossing the Red Sea? You remember, you know, that's like the Sunday school, the lessons all coming back to mind. And you remember the, the Red Sea parted. They walked across on dry ground. The Egyptians pursued them. Here comes the water, kills all the enemy, etc. So we're kind of on the heels of that event. We're just a few chapters removed. Here is Israel being removed from slavery. And now God's got a brand new life for them. 
leading them to a land that God had prepared just for them because he was going to use Israel to bring to, to this earth our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So by this point, they've crossed the Red Sea. They're kind of catching their breath because that's like a big deal, right? You don't, you don't walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground every day. And, and I mean, and even Israel, they're just like you and I. They're kind of digesting this whole episode as well. And so now they're at the, the foot of, of, of this mount, Mount Sinai. Moses, their leader, has gone up to the top. They hadn't seen him in a while. There's some funny stuff going on up there. You know, they, they know that there's something big going on between him and God. But they're also beginning to lose touch with their own reality. God knows this. God gets it. But God is giving them a system of rules and giving them a way that they need to be mindful of living as they go into a land that God has prepared for them. You know, it's when you arrive into a new place, you gotta, you got to learn new rules to play by. You really do. I, I, when my wife, my family, we moved here in 2012 to Hilliard, we had to learn there, there's different rules of this area that we were not used to. I mean, there's little things and nuances in every community where you just got to kind of get used to some things and understand some things. And it takes time, and, and, but that's just the way it is. And, and so for Israel, it was the same thing. But here's, here's something I want you to understand about God. I, this is just kind of like a, 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 a base foundational rule about God. His rules for us are not a burden. Some rules are a burden. I, I find that speed limits, for me, sometimes are a burden. I find that, well, I could go on, but I'm not. But there's just some rules in life. I'm like, do we really have to have that rule? Do we really have to? Okay, we we should. Because it's for our safety and it's for our good. But listen to the way, when Jesus came, the the way that he relates to us, it's, it's not a burden. Listen to this text in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. You take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, listen, there's not a Sunday that goes by that I'm not standing behind this pulpit and I can look into the eyes of my congregation and I can tell you every single Sunday there's someone here who's going to need some serious rest and you need rest this morning. But God did not design our relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ to be a burden. Another translation of that same verse reads this way. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, here's something I want you to understand, though, about our walk with God. Yes, the yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yes, we do understand that. But sometimes, even following the Lord will have its challenges. But my grace, uh, my grace that I have is supplied by my God. And he won't leave me alone. He won't put me in the middle of, of something in life and just leave me there. And so God, that's kind of like the basis behind these commandments, the Ten Commandments here. God is giving Israel just, listen, guys, this is the way you're going to need to be living for you to have a good relationship with me. Remember, there's sin in your life. You, get, you, know, you guys disobeyed me from the very beginning. Remember the garden, you know? And so what I'm giving to you, Israel, is a way for you to have a great relationship with me. Only problem is, is like Israel was coming out of Egyptian captivity, so too 
we can have our own moments of captivity. Maybe, maybe our captivity is a little bit differently. It may not, may not be at the hands of another government or, or nation or whatever, but sometimes our bondage is found in addictions. Sometimes our journey leads us through experiences regarding relationships and jobs and stuff we never thought would happen to us. And it happened to these guys as well. I asked one time, many, many Sundays ago, you know, kind of like by a raise of hand, how many of you, you know, kind of planned on you being in, in, in this point in time in your life with everything going on? I mean, how many of you really saw this coming? And no, we don't. I mean, life throws us curveballs. I mean, there's a lot of unexpected things that happen in life. So God gives us these commands to kind of help us navigate them. And they're still useful for us today. So what's the big deal about this command, you ask? What's the the what and the why? What does it really mean to covet? Well, simply, covet uh, is craving and yearning, something that belongs to someone else. Okay, one writer said, we covet whenever we set our hearts on anything that is not rightfully ours. That's a good, simple definition. Well, we covet when, when, we, when we take our hearts and, I mean, and everything that our heart would desire and we put it onto something that it just does not belong to us. It's not for us. doesn't belong to us. It's, no, that's, that's not good. However, it's interesting to note that this word was used a couple of times in a very positive way. There, are, there, there is one thing, big thing, that we can covet. Listen to this text in, in Psalm seventy three twenty five. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. It's kind of like it's kind of like the coveting, but it's opposite. It's one of the reasons why we we sang this song that on him who can cheer the heart like Jesus. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. If there's one thing in our lives that we can get away with coveting, it will be our walk and our relationship with God through Jesus. But everything else, it's kind of like off limits. In other words, God is saying this whole coveting thing is, I don't mind it vertical. Another vertical meaning, you know, our, our relationship with God. We don't mind it that way. God is saying, you got to be careful horizontally dealing with one another. You got to be careful with wanting stuff that doesn't belong to you, but yet it belongs to someone else. So here's the why I'm going to give you kind of three whys, why it's a big deal not to keep it. Number one is this, and this is something you need to realize my life, meaning your life is worth more than the sum total of your possessions. In other words, just the fact that we have desires for other stuff gets us off track from what God has put into our lives already. And you are worth more. Every single one of you are worth more than the, than the value of all the possessions that you have, the clothes in your closet, the cars in your driveway, the status you have at work, the money in your checking account, all of that stuff. You add it together. You are worth more than all of that. By the way, you take all the combined assets of our people in here this morning, and we individually are worth more than all of our possessions put together. God created to have a relationship with you and not your house. God created, and he loved you so much that Jesus died and shed his blood so that you could wear brand names. No, he died so that a relationship between you and God would absolutely be restored once and for all, complete and eternal. 
forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and eternal life in heaven. He didn't die for my stuff. And so when I take my heart and I start placing it horizontally on other people's things, I'm telling God that I'm trying to rewire my value that he has already determined. The Bible has many passages that tell us what God has to say about our worth and our value in his eyes. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27 says we were made in his image. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 4, or 1 in verse 4, talking about the church, he says, God chose his children before the foundation of the earth were ever even formed. In other words, he was thinking about us long before there was water and continents on a, on a kind of a sphere called earth. He was thinking about you already. That's pretty cool when you think about it. Have you ever wondered, you know, kind of go through the day, I wonder if so-and-so's thinking about me, you know, whatever. God was thinking about us. A long, long, listen, before there was, before Adam and Eve, before everything, we were on his mind. That's just, that just was like a, you know, moment that he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. Um, Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. We are his own possession, chosen for the praise of his glory. Guys, this is something that, that, you know, maybe we just kind of forget. We were created to glorify God. God. That's why you were created. And why we have struggles and heartache and why we have pain and, and suffering is because we are, we are just kind of rejecting why God created us and we want to glorify ourselves. I've noticed every time I wanted to glorify myself, it's ended badly. I, it was not a very pleasant ending, right? Every time I wanted to be a show off and, you know, do all that stuff, I'll, ne- I'll never forget Uh, It was the bike crash of the century. At least that's what the local reporters called it. Um, I was on my little bicycle, and we neighborhood kids were experts at building ramps. Now, this was back in the day. Now, not everybody in this generationally here will understand the name Evil Knievel, but I got it. Me me and and, uh, Bill Britt and the Whirly Boys, man, we got it. We would turn anything into a ramp. If we can make it like with a shape of an angle, we would make it into a ramp. And here I have my brand new bicycle from a place called Western Auto. Do you remember Western Auto? I don't know if they were ever down here, but they were in North Carolina all over. I bought a brand new bike, Western Auto. It was called a Desperado. Hey, I want no joke. This was no joke. Okay. And so we would start like half a block away. And dude, we are pedaling our little hearts out. And we had this ramp set up. It was like a two by 10 and, and it was, you know, set up with the blocks and, and everything, you know, and here's the cool part. We didn't wear helmets back then. And every single one of us are to this day. We're okay. Okay. <laughs> we are, we are fine. We're cool. Right. And we did it without helmets. Yeah, we're tough, man. I'm telling you. No nut allergies. No, I mean, we were, you know, we were tough kids, you know. And here I am. I am pedaling my little heart out. And I hit the ramp. Midair. Handlebars completely disassemble from the, from the frame. 
Now, you've probably been here. Have you ever been in that moment of crisis where you, you, can, you distinctly remember every single millisecond of that experience? I remember every single millisecond. Well, I came down with a heart crash. Long story short, I, it, was, it was not good. Oh, it, it, was, it was so bad. It was so bad. I mean, I was hurt, banged up, you know, all that stuff. Now, okay, <laughs> you say, well, how does this get to, you know, the, the, the point of the sermon? You know, even as kids, we had a desire for more, bigger, better. I mean, it was almost ingrained upon us as children to be competitive and to kind of have this thing. But where was my relationship with God and all that? I mean, was I working as hard to understand my value with God as I did with the neighborhood boys and us wanting to show off? See, sometimes there are certain possessions that are off limits. I was created for God's glory, not my own. And when I've had those times where I wanted to glorify myself, it ended badly. All right, number two. Are my life's dreams God's dreams? I mean, sometimes we see things, and I'll be honest with you, part of my call in ministry came as a result of me watching other faithful men, and they were, you know, they had a bearing upon my life. But I had to be very careful that if I was going to be in a pulpit or in some form of ministry, I didn't want to duplicate their ministry because that was what God had for them. What about your lot in life? Maybe your profession that, that, that God put you in, no matter what it is, maybe there was someone in your life that was kind of instrumental in you being where you are. But were you chasing their dreams or are you chasing God's dreams? Furthermore, sometimes we can be in a place in our life where we see someone else and you get so envious and we just want to go after what, what they ought to be going after. You see, about all those verses I mentioned a while ago, there was something very interesting about all of them fearfully, wonderfully made, God chooses children, we're God's own possession, things of that nature. These phrases, here's what they had in common. They were things done to us or for us by God. And if he could do all of that, then there's something else that he'll make individual too. He'll have individually for each and every one of us a way that we can glorify him with our lives in a place and in a path and in a pattern that he has chosen. I'm not, I, listen, I, I would be lying to you if I and, and, and other pastors, we're not immune and church leaders. We get the grass is greener on the other side syndrome, just like you do. We look at other scenarios. Oh, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could do, I wish I could speak like that preacher does. I wish I could preach like he does. I wish I had a church like that or do this. But that's not what God had in store for me. Why would I want to waste my time on something God has intended for someone else. And I'm going to ask you the same question. Why do you want to waste the time that God has given you to chase someone else's dreams, to do what someone, to do and accomplish something that God has in store for someone else and just focus on what God has given you? Sometimes we can get really messed up out of this. We can, we can even want good things, but want them in a bad way. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, listen to this, it's kind of lengthy, but, but it'll, it'll kind of exemplify it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, reap, gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour's span uh, to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil uh, or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? All that stuff. For the Gentiles, they seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows what that th- you need them all. In other words, God knows your needs. And then he ends with this text, this verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Here's a contemporary story that kind of illustrates this point in that text. There's a guy by the name of Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer is, um, uh, he was the creator of something that all of us as parents in the, in the last 10, 15 years, uh, come to love. And I got a picture of it. This is what Phil Vischer created. Anybody know VeggieTales, right? You're familiar with VeggieTales? If you've been alive and been around a church for the past 20 years, you know about VeggieTales. Phil Vischer was a college dropout. And on a pad and a piece of paper one day, he started drawing these quirky, funny, talking vegetables. And then, you know, the lid blew off, right? I mean, it was, it was amazing what God did with this guy. Big Idea Productions is what he started. At one time, it was the largest, uh, uh, um, it, it was the uh, uh, largest animation studio in the nation. It was bigger than Disney at the height of the VeggieTales empire. He grew the company uh, uh, to, uh, in 2000, he had over 200 workers. People were starting to call him the next Walt Disney. His people were coming up with bigger and bigger and bigger ideas. There was at one time, talk about doing a VeggieTales theme park. I mean, Phil Vischer was riding high. But then something happened. At the height of his success, everything started going wrong. Staff members arguing, video sales declining. He had to fire over half of his staff. A former uh, distributor sued him, and he won that lawsuit, and uh, he lost everything. And Big Idea Productions, Phil Vischer, filed for bankruptcy. He said later on, he said, suddenly I found myself facing a God I had never heard about in Sunday school. A God that apparently wanted me to let go of my dreams. Now I wonder sometimes if the dreams that we have are really God's dreams. And maybe sometimes the hardships that we encounter, God may be allowing these things because he's wanting you to let go of something. There's a biblical story in all this too. You remember the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings? Remember, he went to go see this widowed lady, and the only true possession that she had of any worth was her son. And he went there asking for food. You remember the prophet wanted her to be hospitable to him, and and she said, you know, Mr. Prophet, if we feed you, I won't have enough for my son, and he's already sick. He said, would you just trust me? She fed him, but her son died. The only thing that mattered in her life. You know the rest of the story that you know you've probably heard before. Elijah went into the boy's room and and being a prophet of God and being led by God, he arranged that boy on his bed. And you remember how the Bible says he kind of laid prostrate on top of that boy 
And the boy came back to life. The boy was raised from the dead. Sometimes God will test us and test our dreams. And sometimes he'll want to take something away from you. Because it may not be the right path you need to be on. Sometimes our dreams, they may be easy to find and easy to get. But it was never what God intended. I know this guy right here, I was running for years, running from God. I thought my life was, at one time, I I abhorred the thought of being in ministry. The last thing I ever wanted to be was a preacher, quote unquote. It may be good for other people. It is not for me. But in April of 1994, he changed my tune on a fire training ground in Smithfield, North Carolina. After enduring second, first degree burns all down the left side of my body, I learned that my dreams were not his dreams. And sometimes God will put events in our life to wake us up and realize you are not on my path. Which leads me to my third point, final point. And it's simply this. We really don't know what we covet. We really don't. We, we really don't know what we want. And here's the reason why. Because sometimes we'll look at what our neighbor has. Sometimes we'll look at what somebody down the street has. Some, we'll look at other people's lives. But here's something we don't figure. We don't know how much happiness or lack thereof there is in that home at nighttime. We don't know the burdens that those things have cost someone. We don't know. Yeah, they may have a nice everything but we don't know the debt that they're in either. One author put it this way. said, wanting things for the wrong reasons can turn anyone's life into a marshmallow on a stick or a hot fire. Impossibly messy and eventually consumed one way or another. Sometimes appearances can be deceiving and we look at what you know, someone has. Man, I, I just wish I had that life. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that car. I wish I had those clothes. I just kind of wish I had that family unit there. I just, but my challenge, and this is kind of a challenging statement here. It's not going to be you know, too pleasant. Are you saying that God can't use what you've got? Are you telling me that, that, that God has to use a Mercedes Right? Are you saying that God can't use a, a little Mazda? Are you saying that God can't use what you've got? Are you telling me that, that your God is so small that you have to have brand names for him to work through you? Are you telling me that you have to have relationships in a certain way just for God to show up? You know as well as I do the answer is absolutely no. He can use whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. And that includes you, his most beloved possession, created in his own image. You see, God sees what we can't. God knows what we don't know. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. You know what's funny about that verse, which is oftentimes misquoted? is that this was during a time of Israel's rebellion. This was spoken by a prophet, Jeremiah, who couldn't do nothing but weep over the state of of God's people. But in the midst of all of that heartache, he told them, listen, guys, 
You may not have it all together now, but God has better plans for you. Would you please trust him? Put away the worship of all the other things that is not worship to God and, and, and go after the things that he has. So let's go revisit my family a little bit in that shopping mall. I want you to imagine a strange little contraption in front of you right now. What if you remember that family and you've got that thing that, that seemingly you can, it opens up and you put all some unpleasant things in there, doors close and then boom, pops out stuff that's very pleasant, very nice. What would you trade in? If that, if that box really existed, what would you trade in? When those doors opened and boom. What's the one thing you would want? If you'll permit me, I want to read a text from the Bible about what God would want to trade in. Psalm 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, that's the Lord's city, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes." the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let me tell you what, that little mysterious looking box isn't a box after all. It was actually a cross. And you can take all the nasty, negative, bad stuff in your life, and God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail up on this cross all of that stuff. But I'm going to do it in a way that you may not be used to. Because I'm, I'm going to send someone very special to me whom I love very much, and I'm going to make all of that stuff representative of him, my son Jesus. And I'm going to nail that onto the cross, and that is your sin, your guilt, your shame, your brokenness, your disease, your afflictions, your oppressions, your anger, your jealousy, your greed. I'm going to put up there all of that stuff. I'm going to put up there your addictions. I'm going to put up there your shame. I'm going to put up there all of the wants that, that you know do not need to be in your life. I'm going to put all of that up there. Because when my son sheds his precious blood, all will be made new again. And if you just simply trust me by believing in what my son Jesus did on the cross, if you just believe in why I sent him, you will be free. You'll be free just like Israel was crossing that Red Sea and emerging on the other side. Because you have trusted in the exchange program that I'm going to offer you. And I'm wondering how many of you this morning are ready for that. My desire for you this morning, every one of you in here, is that you'd be willing this morning to trade in your sin, shame, guilt, fear, and uncertainty for love, forgiveness, 
eternal life, and joy that can be only be found in Christ Jesus this morning. We end the Ten Commandments with this message. Don't covet and want the wrong things. You come after me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I, Jesus says, I will give you the rest you need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your most glorious message. It is timeless in its truth and application. And Father, it accurately represents who we are and our walk with you. Father, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we want the wrong things in life. But Father, through your Son, everything can be made whole again. Father, my prayer for for everyone here this morning, uh, there may be some who've never trusted in you before a day in their life. They don't know what faith in Jesus is all about. God, I pray that, that without shame and without worry about anyone else in this room, God, that they would have the freedom that you would move them to have them come. And, and God, I would love to take the word of God, take the Bible and take them and, and share with them how they can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Father, for those who've had the struggle in their life that's kind of buried deep within their heart, they don't know where to go or what to do, God, I pray that you would bless them and just, God, just touch and comfort them this, this morning. I pray, God, for those who've got questions, doubts, fears. Let no one here this morning be ashamed to come to this old-fashioned altar to respond this morning and to make the decisions they need to make. God, I pray for those who are weak. May you give them strength. Father, I pray for us all that we will all be found in your will. In Jesus' name we pray.